Well, good morning, church. You excited to be in the house of God this morning? Did you bring your faith to church this morning? We're going to pray and we're going to jump right in. Lord, what an honor to be with you, God. I'm reminded of what the psalmist said. I was glad when they said, let us go up to the house of the Lord. God, thank you for what you're doing in this place. Thank you for what you're doing through CityGate, what you're doing across this great city, what's happening right here through Ignite and Academy and Summer Sundays, and it's a move of God. And so, Father, we we engage our faith, we engage our spirits, we open our hearts, and we say, Lord Jesus, speak to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Right, you can take your seats this morning. Wow. Well, my spirit is alive, alert. (laughs) There's faith in the house this morning, amen. Are you glad to be in church? Don't you love your pastors? I love your pastors. Can we give it up for Julianne and Sharon Melfi? Great people and... It's such a privilege to be here. It's always an honor to be invited anywhere. It's even better to be invited back. <laughs> um, that's always a good thing. We actually, we actually are in the middle of a sabbatical right now. My wife and I, for the first time, we are coming up towards 10 years since we moved from Sydney, Australia to New York City with three kids, four and under. <laughs> That was fun. Three toddlers and a church plant in Manhattan, as you do. Uh, We're at a time when we actually only knew two people in New York, and neither of them actually even visited our church once. So that was always encouraging. Um, But we're coming up towards 10 years, and we decided we're going to take a sabbatical. So we have unplugged and... uh, and uh, we've taken two months with now four kids, because we had one more. We were already hopelessly outnumbered anyway. And... uh, and of all the cities we could choose on the planet, this is where we wanted to spend our sabbatical in London town. So I love what God's doing here. We've been just refreshing and traveling and uh, had a brilliant time. And as Julian said, we're excited to be launching what will be our ninth church plant on the north, north side of London. Yeah, we've got several in New York and California, Florida. We've even got one in Africa and Manzini. Eswatini, about four hours outside of Johannesburg, and God's moving there. But I'm very excited to make a start in Europe and stand alongside you. God's doing amazing things here. So we're excited to stand in faith, shoulder to shoulder with the churches across the city. Of course, we'll be on the north side. We're going to be about two minutes from Euston Station there in Camden Borough and excited to join in the work of God. If you know anyone on the north side, send them our way. We're still building the team. We're launching next month, so pray for us, will you please? Sunday, September 15, and uh, we're excited to see Liberty Church London begin, amen? So look, I got a word for you this morning. There's no two ways about it. Uh, We often talk, as we should, in Christian circles in the church about changing the world, and I'm all for it, but oftentimes we stop short of talking about how. how. How is it? that we make a lasting difference in the world. That's what the message is about this morning. And what's encouraging about this, because we oftentimes imagine that to change the world, we've got to be sort of superhuman. And yet I think the reality is, as you're going to see through one of my favorite characters in the Bible who gets far too little preaching, in my opinion, uh, this is something every one of us can do. I hope you're going to leave here this morning feeling equipped, encouraged, and enabled to make a very real difference in your world. I'm going to look at Acts chapter 4, this one little verse that burned a fire in me last year. I haven't been able to put this message down since. Acts chapter 4, verse 36 to 37 in the NIV. 
It says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. This is the first mention in the scripture of a man by the name of Barnabas, who would feature heavily in the life of the Apostle Paul. Well, I want to speak to you this morning about being a Barnabas. If you want a title for the message, I would simply call this being a Barnabas. Joseph, his name was changed by the apostles. They renamed him. Because of his reputation, he got a name that he earned. Joseph is a good name. There's lots of good Josephs in the Bible, right? Nothing wrong with the name Joseph, but he earned a new name. And the Bible wants you to understand how he earned it and why it was so powerful. Because we would go on to see the impact of his life through a gift of encouragement. The scripture makes a point of adding, oftentimes the Bible doesn't tell you what a name means. And many of these beautiful names were rich with meaning, but the Bible doesn't want you to miss this one. Whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Apparently the nickname stuck because the Bible never calls him Joseph again. It's the one and only time we know his birth name. From now on, he's the son of encouragement. At a time of massive upheaval in the early church. At a time when Christians are being sawn in two and fed to lions and persecuted. And it's illegal to follow Jesus. At that time, he earns a reputation as a man that impacts nations and generations through this powerful thing that every one of us in this room can do. Which is he chooses to be an encourager. He's a man in word and deed, who's radical in his generosity. It's a powerful calling to be a son or a daughter of encouragement. I wonder if people in our world would describe you or I, oh, she's a daughter, she's an encourager. Oh man, every time I get around him, what an encouragement he is. But you know, the truth is we all know in this room, encouragement is a powerful force. But I bet you could name people that have been a powerful encourager in your life. Maybe in your youth or maybe in the formative years of beginning to follow Jesus. Maybe in your career or marriage. Who's been an encourager to you? I look back. When I first followed Jesus, I was the first one in my immediate family to give my life to following Jesus. And the first real mentor that I had was kind of a firecracker of a woman, honestly. She had a good Greek name at the time, Christine Karyophilus. She would just say Christine Alphabet because no one could spell it anyway. <laughs> she was my first boss in ministry. If you met her, she was, she was, she was a top lady. She was like an alpha leader, but I tell you, she had a gift of encouragement. And this, this church is all about faith. This church is all about believing in dreams. And she saw the dream and the God potential in me, and she'd call it out. And I was discipling youth in the church, and she said to me one day, she said, you know what, Paul? Sheep go where they're fed. Yeah. I said, okay. I think that's good. Unpack that a little bit for me. That sounds good. What are you saying? And she said, you know, if you are an encourager, you'll never be short of people to lead. Wow. You know what? I've lived into that word all those years. She affirmed the gift of encouragement in me. And I began to become an encourager of those around me. Now, she was a strong lady. In fact, these days she's quite a well-known preacher, Christine Kane, if you've heard of her, and started an anti-trafficking organization and kind of having a pretty big impact herself these days. But I would say, in all seriousness, as I look back on those early years, I think I just wouldn't be who I am today 
If it wasn't for someone to encourage the potential in me. Goodness, church, there is already enough discouragement in the world, isn't there? Just spend five minutes on social media or pick up the news and you'll need a little encouragement, right? So the church, the church should be the last place that's full of negativity and critics and cynics. The house of God should be a place of encouragement. You see, Barnabas, I believe, was perhaps the most important person on this planet in the life of the Apostle Paul when his ministry first began. You know, Paul began as Saul. If you know the backstory, he he was famous for all the wrong reasons. He was famous for persecuting Christians, dragging them before the authorities. Many lost their lives. Paul, the first mention of him before his name was changed as Saul, he's presiding over the martyrdom of Stephen, approving the Bible, make sure we understand. He's he's running the cloakroom, holding the coats for those stoning Stephen to death. And then famously on the road to Damascus, as he's literally going to drag believers before the authorities for the audacity of following Jesus, God encounters him. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And as radically as he persecutes the church, suddenly he's on fire for Jesus. He struck blind, led to the house of a man named Ananias who prays for him. His sight is restored. We're going to pick up in Acts chapter 9. I want you to see the power of being a Barnabas in the life of others as we look at the Apostle Paul. It says here, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Listen, and at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. At once. At once. Just go with me a minute here because we read these things in the Bible. Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. You know the end from the beginning. Imagine you're in that church that weekend in Damascus. You've already heard rumors that Saul, who's getting Christians killed left and right, is on his way with letters to drag you and your family before the authorities. Then you find out, wait, who's preaching this weekend? (laughs) Are we that desperate? Did he even do it? Did anybody run a background check for crying out loud? Like really, scraping the barrel. Saul, great, he's preaching. At once, the Bible says, he began to preach. This is like a hairpin turn, right? At 100 kilometers an hour. In the synagogues, he says that Jesus is the Son of God. It says all those who heard him were astonished. Yeah, you wonder. (laughs) And asked, isn't this the man that came to raise havoc in Jerusalem among all those who, who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? And yet Saul, it says, grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, There was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. Isn't ministry great? That's great. We're not even like two paragraphs into his ministry. He's already an assassination attempt. Welcome to the ministry, Saul. This is great. You're going to love it. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night, lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. So he goes to headquarters. Seems like a safe plan, right? And when he came to Jerusalem, listen, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. (laughs) And you know what? We can look back and think, come on, guys, this is the Apostle Paul. Not yet, no. (laughs) I mean, cut them a little slack. If you were the ones who were there, it's like you had good reason to be a little skeptical. I mean, actually, let's play it out. Wouldn't that be a clever plan? Like the double agent, you know, feign conversion to this way of following Jesus, lure all the believers out of hiding and then double-cross them. I mean, it would seem like a good plan. They were afraid of him. Listen, not believing he was really a disciple. 
But listen, these next two words, I think, changed the course of history. Maybe I'm exaggerating. I don't know. This rocked my world. Two words. But Barnabas. We are, I mean, at the precipice of one of the most important moments in the early church. One of the most radical opponents of the faith has suddenly become one of its most radical preachers and teachers. And there's this moment. He's already had assassination attempts. He goes to headquarters. They don't believe in him, but there's this moment. But Barnabas, don't you thank God that there was a Barnabas in the life of this man Saul at the moment when he needed it the most. It says Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And listen, he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he'd preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. And so Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. And he talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews But they tried to kill him. Two paragraphs, two assassination attempts. (laughs) It says the believers learned of this. They took him down to Caesarea, sent him off to Tarsus. And I don't know if the Bible's trying to be funny here. I read a little bit of like humor into this. So we have all of this amazing stuff going on. And then the Bible says that they sent him away. And it says, and then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. I don't know if that's meant to be funny. That's a little bit humorous to me. Got a soul out of the way for a minute. And then they had a time of peace. And living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it was increased in numbers. Think about the fruit of Barnabas. Think about the fruit of the gift of encouragement. In the life of a man called Saul, he believed in Saul when others didn't. I wonder if you can see the work of God in another person's life. That's a gift of faith, you know that. And sometimes when we talk about faith, we're focused on having faith for ourselves, having faith for what God's doing in my life, having a dream that God's going to fulfill in my life. And amen to all of that. Amen. And let's be the people that have faith for other people's lives. Let's be the people that can see the dream of God in someone else's life. In fact, let's be the ones who can believe in someone else. Maybe when they don't even believe in themselves anymore. Can we see the work of God in someone else's life? Not according to, you know, so often in life, people see each other according to their past. Or they see each other maybe according to the present only. But I wonder if we can see within someone the work of God. Listen, the potential of God. What is God at work in? So let me ask you a couple of questions about this this morning. One of the questions I think we need to ponder is, are you willing to risk your reputation on someone else's? It sounds great to be an encourager, and it is great, but it's not without its risks. It seems to me that Barnabas was willing to risk his reputation on this as yet unproven firecracker called Saul. He had some kind of a reputation because he had access to the apostles. And at his say-so, when everybody else was skeptical, Saul had an audience before the apostles. In fact, he didn't even have to speak for himself. Barnabas did the speaking, spoke of his conversion, spoke of his preaching, and on his say-so, they gave Saul a chance. See, he had a reputation, and he had a reputation, listen, to risk. I wonder if we're willing to do that. I wonder if we're willing to err on the side of believing in people 
Instead of always caution, always waiting, cynicism. Here's another question. Are we willing to handle the ups and downs of believing in people? Isn't that what it looks like when you're a Barnabas? To handle the ups and downs of believing in people. I mean, Saul's already nearly got himself killed a few times. I imagine people would say, Barnabas, how's Saul going? And a good day would be, he's alive, you know? <laughs> right? The ups and downs of believing in people. Hey, it's not always going to work out. People aren't always going to make good choices. Listen, if we're honest, we don't always make good choices. And someone took a chance on us, amen? Are we willing to do that for someone else? He's volatile. He's like, new wine. You know, he's killing Christians one minute and preaching Jesus the next. Are we willing to go with that? Or maybe here, let me go a little deeper. Are we secure enough to empower others? Because I think we understand it's risky, but I think, well, look, maybe this is just me. I think this is the part I find the hardest because it preaches well to say, I want to have the next generation stand on my shoulders, but how am I doing when they do? There's a little thing that happens in the scripture and, you know, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I notice that the Bible always says in the beginning, when we hear about Saul, it's always Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul. Then his name changes Barnabas and Paul. Somewhere along the way, with no announcement, it just starts saying Paul and Barnabas. I got to thinking, why is that? Why is it? It's always Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Paul. Then later it's Paul and Barnabas. I think, at least on the eyes of earth and the influence down here, Paul ends up becoming the so-called, quote, unquote, bigger name. Paul's the one that everybody knows. Paul's the one that everybody recognizes. And yet it seems to me that with the spirit of a Barnabas, he's just fine with the shifting spotlight. He's just fine with his role, almost like when John the Baptist says, you know, I must decrease, he must increase. When I, when I realize that the gift of God so often is to call out the greatness in others rather than out of cynicism or some sort of insecurity, hold others down as if it makes me somehow bigger. I wanna be secure enough on this earth to call out the greatness in others, amen? So what we've got to realize in this, and let me pull aside for just a minute, is, is that when it comes to encouragement, it's not just words. Encouragement is about both words and works. Oftentimes, if I said to you, in fact, without setting this up, if I said to you, hey, go out and encourage someone today, 99% of us are thinking, say something. And amen, that's a part of encouragement. But oftentimes, it's do something. You know, he didn't earn this reputation by his words. What it, we started with the scripture that says that what he did was he sold a piece of land. It brought the proceeds and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they called him son of encouragement. So actually, it was his radical generosity, it seems, that earned him this reputation. But that's what I've discovered. If we are a Barnabas, it just oozes out of us in every way. Whether it's our words or our deeds, I imagine if you were out there traveling together, Barnabas and Paul, sometimes just his very presence was an encouragement. You know, a few years ago, I lost my mom after a 14-month battle to brain cancer. And I'll tell you one of the most encouraging things, it was not actually people's words. People try really hard to say the right thing. And God bless them. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> but I tell you, sometimes it was just the presence just the person who knew how to be there 
in faith. Hold up hands. Pray. Stand together with us. It's words and it's deeds, church. It's words and it's deeds. But in case you think, boy, you're really blowing up the story of, of Paul and Barnabas, though, you know, it's, it's typical of an encourager that they impact many lives. And the scripture records another one. It doesn't get as much airtime as the story of Barnabas and Paul. But, you know, Barnabas has a cousin, John Mark. The, the Bible usually just calls him Mark for short. And what I learned about watching Mark's life is not only that encouragement is a powerful force, which we see in the life of, of Saul, but also that encouragement creates room for second chances. Acts chapter 15, verse 37 to verse 40 says, Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he diverted, deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. And they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. And Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commanded by the believers to the grace of God. You see, the first time Paul and Barnabas go out, they plant all these churches. Frankly, they plant the gospel. Later, Paul gets it in his heart. Let's go back, check on all those churches and, and plant some more. And Barnabas says, let's bring my cousin. Let's, let's bring Mark. Paul says, no, why? The Bible actually records he deserted them. We don't know why. Did he get afraid? Did he get sick? Did he just not have the stomach for missions? We don't know why. But on his first ever missions trip, Mark quits. And when it comes time to go out a second time, the Bible actually records a dispute breaks out between Paul and Barnabas the encourager. Such a sharp dispute, they, they part ways. And for many years until I studied this further, I kind of imagined that was more or less the end of Barnabas' story, that he kind of trailed off and we follow the main character, Paul, but it's not the way. Actually, Barnabas, the encourager, brings young Mark under his wing, goes out, and you know, a really powerful thing begins to happen is that the, uh, the Apostle Paul actually on multiple occasions mentions Mark in ways that are so beautiful and redemptive. You know, in Philemon one twenty four, he actually refers to Mark in that letter as his fellow worker in Christ. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 11, Paul actually says, send Mark to me because he is useful to me in my ministry. Now, how is this possible? That Mark, the one that Paul wouldn't even take on a missions trip, becomes the one whose name would be mentioned in the Bible as a fellow worker in Christ with Paul, useful to him in his ministry, that Paul would request his presence. I contend that it's because a Barnabas was willing to stay with him when even the Apostle Paul himself would say, I've had enough. He had his chance. Encouragement creates room for second chances. I wonder without that encouragement if we would even have the Gospel of Mark today. I wonder if Barnabas hadn't have been willing to stay with the Apostle Paul, would all those churches have been planned? In fact, would we have two-thirds of the New Testament written today? Just a week ago, my wife and I and our family were in Rome in the, in the, very, um, in the very cell, the prison cell, where they believed that the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter were held, sitting in that very space, thinking of these letters that he was writing because somebody dared to believe in him. You know, um, 
I noticed, you know, ever read the footnotes in your Bible? I noticed a little asterisk in the NIV translation next to son of encouragement. And I followed the little bunny trail down. And it said in the footnotes where it says that Barnabas means son of encouragement. It also said this, can be translated son of prophecy. I thought that's interesting. You know, as a preacher, sometimes there's, there's, there's more things to say than time to say them. And so sometimes wisdom says, leave that for another message. And I was going to go that way. I thought, no, this is all about encouragement. I thought, well, wait, I couldn't shake it. Well, how can it be both? Is it encouragement or is it prophecy? Is it prophecy or is it encouragement? You can't have it both ways. And then it started to dawn on me. These are two edges of the one sword, two sides of the one coin. I believe when you encourage, you prophesy. I believe in the new covenant when we prophesy, it's to encourage. In fact, 1 Corinthians 14 verse 3 says, the one who prophesies speaks to people for what? They're strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. There it is. Prophecy and encouragement. Both there in the one sentence. In the New Testament, thanks to what Christ did for us, what is the predominant purpose of prophecy? It's to strengthen. It's to encourage and it's to comfort. You know, when you go out this week in the power of this word from Scripture and you determine to be a Barnabas in your world, to be an encouragement, hey, don't belittle that gift. Oh, I'm just an encourager. No, 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 no. Don't you do that. You're prophesying. Every time you encourage, you're prophesying the potential of God in someone else. Amen? Lifting up their hands and calling out the greatness of God. Certainly when you look back at Barnabas believing in Saul, I'd call him a prophet, to see what God was doing in him. <laughs> Long before others, perhaps even Saul saw it in himself. But, you know, in America, I, I, I live in New York City now, and in American culture, you know, we love the idea of the champion. Champion's a really popular word, popular brand, champion. But, you know, in the English language, it's easy to miss the way our modern culture resonates with the word champion. It's easy to forget that champion is both a noun and a verb. In our modern culture, we love champion the noun. I want to be a champion. I'm going to be the best. I'm going to do all that God has created me to do. And look, no argument here. Amen to being a champion. But I think champion the verb is becoming a lost art in the church. Because I believe if we're going to be a Barnabas, yes, to living a life of example, no argument. Yes, doing all that you can to leave a legacy and live a life of faith. But let's not forget as we believe to be a champion, let's not forget to champion others. Let's not forget in our focus, maybe on ourselves, our own dreams, our own potential, and the work of God in us. Let's not forget to champion the call of God in others, to champion the dream in others, to champion the potential of God in those around us. Bob Buford, Christian author who passed away last year, he famously said, and I love this quote. He said, my fruit grows on other people's trees. Well, that's the words of a Barnabas right there. My fruit, he said, grows on other people's trees. I wonder if it could be, could I submit to you today without for a moment diminishing the potential of God in you? Could it be? 
Could it be that the greatest impact of your life is not even going to be achieved through your own words, by your own hands, according to your own deeds? Could it be that the greatest gift of God, the greatest potential that you have is actually going to be seen through the fruit that grows on other people's trees? Don't you imagine Barnabas celebrated every time Paul planted a church? Don't you imagine Barnabas felt like he had seed in every harvest that came at the hands of young Mark? Of course he did. Because their fruit was growing on other people's trees. Jesus obviously is the greatest hero of all time, and yet I believe he's a hero maker. In fact, Jesus has the audacity to say in John 14, 12, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing, listen, and they will do even greater things than these. Even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Hmm. Maybe you're sitting here today and you think, this is great, Paul, and I believe it, but listen, I wish somebody would encourage me. You ever felt that way? Somebody's preaching about encouragement. You're like, sounds good. Right here. Anyone, anyone, bring it in. (laughs) And that, look, I'm not making fun. That's a legitimate need. But can I encourage you? As Gandhi put it, I think, be the change that you want to see in the world. What I've discovered is that we, we reap what we sow. I've discovered as I determine over all these years to practice being an encourager that I start to create an atmosphere around my life of encouragement that I can benefit from too. When I call out the greatness in others, I have others that lift up my hands when I feel discouraged and I feel down. Can I encourage you this morning? If you're feeling a little discouraged in this season, why don't you do the opposite of what you feel? Come in the opposite spirit and determine this week, I'm going to sow what it is that I am believing to reap, to be an encourager. Think about these lives that Barnabas impacted. Think about Saul. Think about Mark and how many others that the scripture in these few pages doesn't have time to chronicle the impact that he's had. But I guess you could say, you know, that since Saul preaches the gospel to the non-Jewish, to the Gentile world, plants all of these churches, you and I, even today, two millennia later, are still reaping the benefits of those two words, but Barnabas. I'm going to get one of the worship team to join me, but I, I, uh, I believe God's calling Citygate to be a house of encouragement. Remember just before we left Australia, uh, one of our last services uh, at the church we were attending in Sydney, a, a young guy comes up to me at the end of worship. They'd heard that we were moving to New York and we were going to plant a church. And, and he said, hey, Paul, his name was Kieran. He says, hey, Paul, I've still got your note up on my wall. And now, if you, if you know me, I have no poker face at all. Whatever I'm thinking and feeling, it's right here. It's, it's, it's good and bad. Uh, and... Uh, and he could tell right away, I had no clue what he was talking about. You ever had those moments when somebody's saying something that's really important to them and you just can't hide that you're not tracking at all? Like, oh, ah, uh, you know. And uh, he could tell, and he tries to smooth it over, right? Because it's obviously a beast. I still got your note up on my wall. And I'm like, <laughs> awkward. And uh, 
And he says, it's okay, you wouldn't remember it was more than 10 years ago. I was like, okay, can you refresh my memory? Then I'm suddenly feeling a little better about not remembering it. And he said, you know, when I was in high school, you wrote me a note about the call of God on my life and that God was gonna use me, I was gonna be a man of integrity and, and make a difference. He said, I pinned it up on my cork board and it's been there ever since. Now what you gotta understand is he was a high school kid, graduates high school, now a young adult, goes to college, studies real estate, becomes a very successful guy, married, three kids, still got that note up on his cork board for his wife and his kids to see. 10 years later, how could I have known? And what's funny, maybe you think, weren't you embarrassed that you didn't remember the note? Well, yes and no. Because actually in a way, I think it's a beautiful story because it just goes to show, you don't always know the impact you're gonna have. And if you're gonna be a Barnabas, it's gonna be like the scripture, how it says, you know, a farmer goes out to sow seed, not knowing whether this one or that will prosper. That's the life of an encourager. But I tell you, if you and I will determine to live our lives as a Barnabas, a son or a daughter of encouragement, the seed that is sown will reap a harvest more than you could have ever imagined. I wanna pray for two groups of people this morning. And the first is, I just really believe for the church, the church at large and for Citygate specifically, this is a word for us to create a culture of encouragement. You already have it in this house. I'm really just affirming what's already here. But I believe this is an activation, a now word for some of you to go even today and think of someone in your world who needs a but Barnabas moment for you to call out the greatness and the God-given potential in someone who's maybe wandered or feels discouraged or lost their way, for you to be a Barnabas for them. So, so first, this is what I wanna do. Can I have every head bowed, every eye closed? Who do you need to be Barnabas for today? I don't believe God sent me all this way to preach this word solely for the purpose of encouraging those in this room. That'd be worth it. But I believe there's a harvest, 30, 60, and 100 fold. If every one of us would take this word today and determine to be encouragers of the God-given potential in those around us, oh, the harvest for nations and generations. So listen, this morning, I I'm not talking about whether you love Jesus. You love Jesus. You're planted in this house. and you're, I, I, I believe that there are people here today. This message is just right on time for you. And you say, Paul, I'm committing my way, even today, even this week, to doubling down and to being an encourager for those around me. Could I, could I ask you just to raise your hands around this place? If this is a word in season for you, come on, raise a hand in faith because I believe if you will do it, if you'll raise a hand today that God will give you opportunities even today, even this week to sow seed, to create moments that would change the course of families, of cities, of nations and of generations. So Father, I pray a prayer of faith in Jesus' Name over every hand raised here today. God, let us be like Barnabas. God, encourage us to be encouragers of the potential in others to take a risk and risk our own reputation on the sake of the next generation, God. God, would we be those who are not so concerned with ourselves that we lose sight, God, of what you're doing in others around us. God, I pray, like Bob Buford said, let us be the ones whose fruit grows on other people's trees. 
Lord, I pray that only heaven will reveal the true impact of our lives. We wouldn't live such a small life and live such a small destiny that we could do it on our own. But God, let us live in such a way as only eternity will reveal the harvest of souls, the impact of our lives. I pray it in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen, amen. If you wouldn't mind putting your hands down and being in prayer a moment longer. There's an atmosphere of faith in this place this morning. And I guess I just have a sense before my time is done that there are people in here that what you need more than anything right now is to encounter God. You know, God is real. Jesus loves you. And I don't know what it is that brought you to this moment. This might even be your very first time at CityGate. Or maybe you've just been coming a couple of times and you have a friend or a family member here maybe. Or I, I believe with all of my heart and I can testify with my own story that Jesus is the answer. Whatever you're facing right now, whatever you're struggling with, Jesus is the answer. In Jesus, there is hope and forgiveness. He's the God of second chances. God wants to wipe away the past, our sin, our mistakes that are keeping us from right relationship with God. Make you new. And so this morning, as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I believe across this auditorium that there are people here today that today is the day to get your life right with God, to reach out to the God who already reached out to you on the cross. Jesus died so that you and I wouldn't have to pay the price for our own sin. Friend, He already paid it for you. If all we would do would be to call on the name of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ, be my Saviour, be my King, be my Lord, in Jesus' name. This is what we're gonna do. Our heads about, eyes are closed. We do this all the time in this church. It's, I, I wanna invite you to do one simple thing as an act of faith. Say, you know, I'm gonna, I wanna begin a relationship with God today. Or, or maybe for some of you, you used to follow Jesus once upon a time, you would have called yourself a Christian, but the, the truth is, somewhere along the way, you lost your way, you chose a different way, He's not Lord of your life anymore. And today is the day to come home. I wanna pray for you right where you sit. And this is, this is what I want you to do. My head's about and eyes closed. If that's you and you say, Paul, pray for me. I wanna make my peace with God. I wanna come home to my Heavenly Father today, I want you to do one simple thing. Would you just lift your hand up in the air? I'll see it. And then you can put it down again. Are we gonna pray? I see you there. Who else? Come on, all across this auditorium, I see you there. Who else? Come on. This morning, would lift a hand and say, pray for me. I wanna reach out to Jesus today, my Saviour, my King, my Redeemer. Come on, church, as you begin to pray, is there anyone else this morning who would say, that's me? I need God today. I need salvation. I need forgiveness today. I see you back there. Last call, if you haven't raised your hand, would you join those who already have as we pray in just a moment and come home to our Heavenly Father. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. This is what we're gonna do. My head's bowed and eyes closed. I'm gonna ask everybody all across this place to repeat this prayer out loud after me, especially those of you who raised a hand this morning. Let's pray these words. Dear Jesus, I come to you today and I thank you 
that you came to earth, died on the cross and conquered death so I could receive life. Heavenly Father, thank You that You love me. Thank You that You know me. Thank You that You see me and You have a great plan for my life. From this moment, I am a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus is my Lord, my Savior, and my King. Give me strength to follow Him all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. Come on, let's give a great round of applause to all those who raised a hand across this place this morning. Now listen, church, I'm gonna hand the service back. I just wanna say this to you. Listen, I, I'm believing that we're gonna do something with this Word, amen? There is seed in your hand today to sow. Let's be a Barnabas, amen? Come on.